everyone. Hello, Forrest Eckley. It's a pleasure hey, to have Lauren. you on the, on the show. Um, I'm super excited to have you on the show because I really believe that your business is such an important part of the economy. And to me, small community-based businesses are the countervailing power to big corporation and Wall Street. Um, and I think right now, while we're kind of all on pause at the moment, it's really important to talk about what small business, how small business um, really feeds the community and is, you know, for the people and your business, Glasswing, which is um, a beautiful store in Seattle, um, and it, you also have the greenhouse, um, which mm -hmm. is just around the corner, and you have Canyon Creek Cabins, which is your beautiful cabin out in the mountains that you run as a as a um, Airbnb. Is that correct? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, and you also do creative, um, sculptural, more like furniture-based projects as well. So you do so many things that's all based out of the Seattle um, community. And um, I just want to, yeah, talk about all of these wonderful things that you do. I have well, a I'd be happy to. Yeah, I have a, I have a feeling that this, pod, this episode is going to be a very storytelling kind of episode <laughs> but yeah for folks who don't know um can you tell us about glasswing sure yeah so like you said it's it's really just a platform for creativity in our area in the pacific northwest and it it kind of came about because we noticed that corporations were really the model for success in our area uh we we come from kind of a remote place. Uh, we're, we're tucked away in the, in the far northwest part of the country, but a lot of, uh, coincidentally, a lot of big ideas have come out of yeah. this area. Um, so like Microsoft and Amazon and Boeing and Costco and um, T-Mobile and, uh, um, and a bunch of tech, tech. Yeah, doesn't Google have their headquarters in a Seattle they have offices. Oh, they here. have offices there. Um, mm. I think they're they're based in California. I see. But yeah, a, a lot of corporations are headquartered here, and uh, I'm not from here, so I moved here maybe ten years ago. But I I had this idea of Seattle being an art city, mm. and um, and after I lived here for a couple of years, my my friends and I were all just kind of complaining about our jobs. And, uh, you know, we, we got to the point where we got tired of hearing each other complain. Mm. And so we started putting our ideas down and started testing them out. And, and they were all kind of centered around bringing art back to the street level mm. and making it accessible. Mm. Uh, because the, the way art was experienced at the time, and it's still very much like this, that you pay a ticket, you buy a ticket and you go see art that's mm. on a wall that you can't touch or it's up on a pedestal on a stage, and then uh, you you go home or you go back out in the streets and you don't see art again, mm. unless you pay a ticket 
to a venue and and see something for a very short period of time and that just felt so counter to what art is as Mm. as expression and self-expression so um what we're doing is is just supposed to be one of many uh avenues and and attempts to to make art a part of everyday life yeah well when when you go into your store in um, Seattle, you can really tell that it was the brainchild of art, art-minded people because it's such a sensory experience to go into the store and, like, it's you walk in. There's you're immediately presented with such lush greenery, and then you're kind of led through um, almost like a museum of of the beautiful craft and and brain juices of some super talented designers and and um you know just makers um so tell me about um the also your greenhouse project that's a relatively new space yeah yeah so we started out we started out by testing our ideas and it was a a group of friends that were doing it. It it wasn't just me. It was, it was a group of people Mm. and we all had different skills and passions and, uh, and things that we wanted to experiment with. So we, we would do a pop-up shop about every three months and we would test product development ideas. We would test marketing ideas, locations, try and learn how to work with designers from different parts of the world. And, um, and the ideas that the community kind of continued to say, yes, we want more of that was around independent clothing, Mm. custom furniture and plants. Mm. And the plants were for us, just an accident. We, we kind of, we were going into these spaces that were in transition that didn't have leases. And we were going in for like, five days for free or you know two days for for like a thousand dollars um you know we would just take whatever we could get Mm. and and we would get into them and they would feel very hard and cold and sterile so elisa one of my friends and partners went to home depot and filled up a van full of plants and kept the receipts and we were just going to return them after the weekend and uh and so many people wanted to buy the plants that we we just kind of felt bad, and so we ended up selling the plants. Um, <laughs> That's such a good story. And then we had to go back to Home Depot and get more plants so that the space still felt good, uh, but they kept selling. So wow. it was just a kind of a Organic. a response to what people yeah. were asking for, you know. Yeah, it sounds like the way that you kind of yeah, you test things out and your business kind of mushrooms in this really organic way based on, um, yeah, the feedback that the community um, give you. I know that you spend like every day on the on the store floor interacting with um, your customers and you really get a sense of what people want and how people um you know, you you are so familiar with all of your customers. It's really inspiring. Um, tell me um, how you've built the your 
your family, the Glasswing family, how that kind of grew and the people involved with the business? Mm. Well, we work with so many creative, fun people. And I think it, the, the, sh the shop kind of fosters that creativity, but, it, but without the people, it, it wouldn't really exist mm. because um, like on the plant side, we, we got to a point where people were coming in and because we were selling plants, they expected us to be plant experts. And because we were experts on everything else in the shop, they, there mm. was no, um, we couldn't like give a disclaimer that like, yeah, these plants are for sale, but mm. we don't really know that much about them. So we, ha we had to simultaneously learn and hire someone who was on that level. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and so one of our, one of our teammates, Tassie, um, she is from our area lived in New York, opened up a plant store there, and then wanted, had kids and wanted to come back. And, um, and the timing just worked out great. Mm. And, um, yeah. and so we're, we're super thankful to have her on the team. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. You're, yeah, it's, it's quite, um, I, I think like having a wide diverse range of different expertise, um, is really important because your your business is so diverse in the way that mm -hmm. yeah it services the community actually it was this time last year that i was in seattle and i came to visit you um, which i also really want to talk about because you took me on the most incredible pacific northwest adventure which was like i felt like it was such a treat. Um, so for folks who don't know, um, Glasswing um, represent women's wear in the Seattle area. And so I came to visit last year um, while I was kind of doing a world tour of visiting the different retailers for women's wear. And that was my first time in the Pacific Northwest um, and it really blew my mind how freaking beautiful the, the context of Seattle is, the surrounding mountains and forests and the ocean. Um, so, so, so Forrest took me out to um, the Canyon Creek Cabin, um, which is this geometric um, wooden cabin structure. It feels quite modern like a very modern structure in this very like lush kind of landscape of of forest and cascading mountain water there's a super beautiful um are they called the cascades where just below the cabin there's um meltwater that kind of flows and it's got this beautiful light blue color and constant white noise of sound and it's such a incredible context and you've built that cabin into a really meditative space where people can go and stay there so we hung out there for a couple of nights I think it was and you took me onto the a couple of a trails around um, the cascades we went to the the ice caves, you took me to the mm -hmm. ice caves, which was so fun. Um, it's, 
for me, seeing such huge mountains um, is such a like overwhelming experience in itself. Because I grew up in Thailand and Australia where we do have mountains in Australia, but nowhere as tall as um, in the Pacific Northwest. And um, then we went to Whidbey Island and we stayed at right yeah we stayed at the captain would be in and that was so cool i felt like i was on the set of like a wes anderson film um the it's like this boutique for folks who don't know it's this boutique hotel um maybe you you might be better at explaining what the 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 would be in is like um yeah, it's a, a hundred-year-old Madrona log cabin mm. that it's it's kind of, when you're upstairs, it, it feels like you're on a ship that's moving because yeah. nothing's really straight and uh, and the light kind of comes in at, at odd angles and the floor is tilted and um, yeah, it's a, a special spot. There aren't that many old buildings on the West Coast, so mm. it's it always feels um, yeah. special to be be in an old space like that. I really, they did a, they must have done a renovation, but they really preserved the original, like, vibe of the, the space. And that's so, so important with old buildings. And I want to tell people that when we were staying at the Woodby Inn, one night we did, we made a fire, we had a fire on the beach and... Then the most mind-boggling experience happened. Um, I think it was Elisa. She threw something into the in the water, and all of a sudden, these flashing neo blue um, lights just started flickering in the in the water, and we just all suddenly turned into like five-year-old kids splashing around right, in the water. Right. Um, <laughs> that was uh, the bioluminescent plankton. And it was such a head spin because at the time I was researching for the Spring 20 collection that's all based around like a marine research and deep sea exploration and these strange like bioluminescent creatures. So to actually see something like that in real life was just oh, such a special experience. Like have to thank you so much for that, that really awesome um trip and um oh finally we we also went to what was it called fort fort it was like a world war ii bunker bunker uh, did we go to fort casey oh yeah we went to fort casey that was really cool as well to see these like geometric cement bunkers just built into the landscape um yeah we we kind of yeah, we hung out there for a while. But, yeah, it really shows me that that whole landscape of the Pacific Northwest is so inspiring, um, which brings me to inspiration. How, how do you find your inspiration? How do you inspire your creative projects? Mm. You know, I, I think I would probably first go back to the – the friends and team that mm. I work with. 
uh, like Elisa, who I started the shop with, is is such a a fast learner, mm. and she just can absorb things really quickly and and do her her own version or or action an idea really quickly. And uh, and Andy, who's the furniture designer friend of ours, that uh, that does most of the the furniture designs. Um, he's he's really fun to collaborate with. His mind works very quickly, and he just wants to start like grabbing materials and um, and and seeing how to how they'll flex and and fit together. And so he's a, a very physical learner. And, uh, and just that, that mix of different learning styles and interests mm. um, always takes the beginning of an idea in, to a place that I, I could not have foreseen it going. Mm. So I think that um, that for me is the most exciting part, like mm. coming up, finding a little bit of inspiration and then sharing it with people and, mm. and kind of seeing where it goes. And there's always some level of discomfort there of, of like, you have an idea for what, where this could go, and then four other people start like pushing your idea around, and um, and you're like, no, mine. Well, I've I've learned to that I think that instinct is is always in me to to really focus on the original thought or or dream, mm. but through the through collaborating with these friends for the last five or six years have kind of learned that it's only going to be made better by people questioning uh, why something can't be another way or why it should be this way. Or, mm. you know, what if, what if we do, we take it in this direction? Mm. Uh, I think that's kind of the, 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 it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's also what, what has, when that happens, there's an opportunity for something new to yeah. be created. Yeah. yeah, I think collaborating on on creative projects is like a really special skill of of listening and communicating um, openly and and kind of you almost have to be a very highly evolved self to be able to stop those childish voices in your head of mind this of ownership and mm -hmm. and be open to the possibility of um an idea evolving into something so much greater than what you could have um, imagined on your own right yeah i think teamwork is really not easy but when you can do it it's um it's your the the um equation of possibility just expands sorry people if my maths um my concept of maths is a bit skewed but um yeah what um yeah that's... so with within your circle where do you where do you find the most fruitful feedback loops and uh, like who do you bounce your ideas off of um so my business is a lot smaller there's um three of us there's Gigi who um is on the design side and there's Boo who is on communications side um and both of them work are very different um and they work in very different ways which is a good um exercise for me to get into a different headspace when I'm working with 
um, the two of them. And sometimes we work on projects, all three of us together, which is the most fun because um, I think when the three of us get together to do something, there's this like new energy of excitement and um, that's when things get really fun. Um, and also when like um, when when Boo and Gigi are able to do a project together on their own without me, for me that's really exciting as well. Um, and they always surprise me. They did they ran our annual warehouse sale um, without me in early Feb. And I was so impressed with the way they interpreted, interpreted um, you know, the concept of, of the warehouse sale, how they designed the space and how they interacted with all the customers. Um, yeah, but for me, um, inspiration comes from all aspects of life. Like um, it can, it comes from my interaction with different people that I meet on my travels and, and do and working, you know, visiting all the makers who make our products and, and visiting the retailers like yourself and catching up on what's been inspiring them at the moment. Um, also the state of the world informs some of a lot of my work as well. Um, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm always questioning what it means to exist on this planet and how um, culture is constantly evolving. And right now I feel this real radical energy in me um, because of what's happening in the world and how this coronavirus has forced us to all literally stop, slow down and mm -hmm. reevaluate how systems that were just, you know, snow, snowballing and and um, growing in in power, how those systems don't function properly, and um, especially in the fashion industry, how this seasonal cycle of fashion, um, how that could be reworked and um, drawn back to be more efficient, more impactful and less wasteful. Um, the model of fast fashion, I think now is the perfect time to voice how damaging fast fashion is and how important it is to consume responsibly and invest your money in businesses that, um, you know, really value the art and craft of making objects and making clothes. Um, and yeah, so I'm always inspired by, by the world around me. And that always s pushes me to look into different points of time in history and to see if there's a pattern that, that has evolved and a pattern that reoccurs through history. Um, like right now we're going through just post coronavirus we were already in a new cold war with uh, between the US and China and that really re resonated me with uh the the cold war post you know in um the like post Vietnam war era where 
where, you know, it, it just feels like we forget about points of time in history and we don't seem to learn our lessons. <laughs> and I, mm -hmm. think, I think revisiting history, especially for our younger generation, is so important to, to get us to question, to get us to voice our opinions on how the world is being run today. And this kind of activism is so necessary in order for us to evolve and improve rather than to just repeat this cyclical mm -hmm. cycle of, yeah, of power shifts in this power struggle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, inspiration comes from so many places. Also, the music we listen to, the what I find when I'm looking at vintage um, I'm always going to flea markets around um, summertime I live in where I live in France um, we the flea market season starts from spring and goes all the way through till autumn starts and every single Sunday my husband and I are digging for stuff I don't know going to a flea market is the most exciting thing we look forward to it every week you know um I the last little present I sent you was the J-O-B orchestra record that I um it's it's this groovy Hare Krishna um I think it was made in the late 70s it's a record that has this really mixed you know, funky mix with Hare Krishna kind of um, vibe to it. But it's the, if you listen to the lyrics, it's all about love of the earth, love of each other, and it's got this. It's got such an incredible um, production value behind it, probably because the Hare Krishna at that time had a lot of money to invest in really high quality produced music. <laughs> But, um, yeah, the world is a really I, – I don't understand this concept of boredom because there's just so much all over the place that keeps me scratching my head. What about you? Well, I'm curious. Uh, well, something that you said earlier grabbed my attention, um, and, and that was around how we – are not very good at learning from previous mistakes. And it it really seems like in, in my area of the world, the government and the messaging is to bring things back to what they were as soon as possible. Mm. And you know that it kind of, we hear that and at the same time feel like things, if things go back to the way they were, this is going to happen again. Absolutely. And we're not, and we're not going to be prepared for it. Yeah. So there's this uh, kind of, there's a conflict there. There's yeah. an internal conflict there that I think a lot of people are feeling, but not expressing mm. yet. And, uh, and, and there's also a, a really big difference in accessibility and 
there's a lot of problems that, yeah, that could, be, could be addressed right now. Yeah, let's talk about those problems because um, there are parallels, a lot of parallels that can be drawn with what's happening in the US right now with the UK, um, a post-Brexit post UK. And even um, on the podcast last episode, I talked to Yumi Sakuma, who's a writer who who is a Japanese, she's a Japanese writer, but lives in New York. And she was drawing a lot of parallels between how Trump and Shinzo Abe have been um, dealing with the coronavirus in complete, just blind hope that things will just magically um, fix itself um, if they just keep muscling on and, you know, um, push the economy f forward. Um I want to talk about this uncertain feeling that so many Americans are feeling about um, the, the need to go back to work, the need to start up business again, but the uncertainty about health and safety, um, personal security while, while working, um, and the fact that, honestly, Trump has... The government has made it so difficult for people to receive their unemployment benefits that they are, in some cases, forced to go back to work in unsafe conditions, um, which is definitely something that comes up, that comes from right up the top of of the pyramid of power, and um, I think. The voices like Dr. Fauci saying that um, it's not safe yet to go back to work um, because um, America has not reached the other end of their um, curve. And mm -hmm. also um, people like Robert Reich, who has been quite, I've been paying a lot of attention to his um, ex-Minister of Labor during Clinton He's, um, he's got this brilliant book um, called Saving Capitalism um, and it was made into a Netflix documentary. But he's been so active on YouTube and Facebook at the moment, just really telling people how it is and, and telling people um, that they have a right to stand up for their own safety. They have a right to be looked after by the government um, and they should not stand for being bullied into feeling unsafe and having to go back mm -hmm. to work. Um, but, yeah, right now we are so polarized um, that the protests, these anti-COVID protests of conspiracy <laughs> theorists just blow my mind. That's been happening all over. It's been happening in Australia as well of people believing that this COVID pandemic has been a conspiracy to get 5G through, pass through. Um, guys, Wait, like, like, like Wi-Fi speed? 5G, like phone, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How is that related? Well, apparently, if there is, if there's a theory that, you know, the conspiracy theorists will find a way. This whole to thing is about Wi-Fi? Yeah, this whole thing's about Wi-Fi. Yeah. Sorry to break that <laughs> to you. But I mean, honestly, it's just I feel so, I feel compassion towards the, the conspiracy theorists because really what's going on is this lack of 
of faith, this lack of belief in authority because mm, authority yeah. has let them down. You know, in Australia, the the Prime Minister let the Australians down during the worst bushfires that they've ever seen. Um, Trump continues to let people down in, you know, eliminating so many um, securities that people need to feel safe and to feel like they can they can progress and evolve and and contribute to society um if you don't feel safe you cannot contribute anything you feel paralyzed by fear so mm -hmm. yeah it's a wild world i mean this is happening a lot in in the uk as well and the uk is the only country in in europe that is really struggling to get beyond their peak as well um so yeah i really feel like right now is a time to speak up about these real issues that if we don't talk about them if regular people don't talk about them and we leave this conversation to um to a select group of people in society then we are just as to blame for this political mess. Um, so, yeah, that's where I get this real, f this fire in myself to, to, of activism to speak about things that really need speaking about. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't even know where, what we were talking about before. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you brought up so many interesting points in oh, there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought one thing that you said was uh, was a really good observation and that uh, conspiracy theories come up because we've because people have been let down and there's such a high level of distrust mm. with the people who are who are controlling and delivering the message. Mm. Uh, and I mean, full disclosure, my mom sent me a a conspiracy video about the coronavirus. Tell me. Um, you know, it was it was actually a really well done documentary. It was about a thirty minute documentary from interviewing a doctor, and um, there were you know there were a bunch of semi believable things, and uh, and I think especially if you're in an area where you don't know anyone who's been sick. You, you don't know anyone who has died, um, and yet you've been required, your whole community has been required to shut down, and, and no one's been sick in, in, you know, in anyone's immediate, uh, community, in the immediate community. And I can understand in that situation why you would be looking for answers mm. for why, um, why this is why alternative reasons for why this is happening, especially when the the voice box of this is a, a fake business person mm. who is a reality TV star who, who basically made their money by just selling their name and not actually being a good leader and not actually being a good manager. Uh, and if their if their whole job is is just like selling something that doesn't actually have value, uh, I understand. It makes total sense that you would not believe uh, in what they're saying and look for an alternative um, alternative motive. Mm. 
Um, I think that's a really good question is how do we find information that is true these days? How do we find honest information? Because we mm -hmm. are completely saturated by um by information from so many different places now um being under the same roof as my parents i've realized that finding reliable information on the internet is actually a very very specific skill set and mm -hmm. not everyone is equipped with that is some from people in my parents generation who did not grow up with the internet um, who were who were raised in an education system that taught people to not question authority, um, then you can, there are so many times when my parents show me if things that they find on the internet, like your mom's video. Um, and I have to, I've, I've tried, had to try and teach my parents how to scour through um, reliable sources, how to question things and, and not take things on, on face value because the internet is full of, um, full of just junk. Um, and even the news, the, the way that new, the news media, um, operates, um, we all, we all have to question the authenticity of different news media outlets as well. Um, who funds them, what is their agenda behind reporting specific um, angles on, on news pieces. Uh, and all of this realisation, especially watching my parents, the realisation that all this information has to constantly be questioned is anxiety-inducing. It, it, yeah. It's panicking because then then it's like the floor under your feet is starting to like wobble and wave because this like this what you thought was the the certainty of being able to believe basic things like the news is is not a truth anymore and yeah yeah i think it's made a lot of people just disengage mm. absolutely i wonder could, what has it been like living with your parents during this <laughs> yeah. during this crazy time, and and you can't leave? Yeah, um, you can't like be like, hey, it's been a it's been a nice thanks. weekend. I love you. <laughs> I'll see you in three months. Yeah, <laughs> it's been. What what has that been like? It's been a wild ride. <laughs> it's been like real challenging like I feel like we're all onions and we have so many layers that need peeling back and this has been a real life a life pinnacle of you know being forced to live under the same roof with my parents and kind of peel back these sensitive layers of the onion um, which has been, to be honest, I will remember this for the rest of my life. And I'm so, I talked to my husband about this. Um, he's the same, you know, living under with his mother um, at home right now. We both agreed that we will both remember this and cherish this, despite how difficult it has been uh, for the rest of mm -hmm. our life, because this is one of the rare moments that we 
have the opportunity to really get to know our parents as the people they are rather than this image of father and mother that we are raised to see them as and put them on a pedestal mm -hmm. as they're just human beings themselves with their own flaws and baggage and different interpretations of how how re how reality is and yeah i've been in especially with my dad if he listens to this he'll he'll probably smile but yeah i've i've been in some real close clashes with my dad because um <laughs> you know we have we us in some ways way too similar for our own good um we i see and your some, dad's from my dad's, your dad's british from australia yeah huh? he's british australian um and he's he's an entrepreneur he's had his own business for i don't know 40 years or so um mm -hmm. and he's 71 now he still works um he, and you told me he advises he airlines. Has, he has a consulting firm um, for that consults um, for airlines and hotels, mm -hmm. and it's a very abstract um, concept. He he designs the guest experience, uh, which sounds like what when people when when I say that to people, they're kind of just like, what does he make a product? Does he what is what is that? But yeah, his his work process is very conceptual. It's um, both tangible and intangible. So he has like they design every they design things that you interact with uh, on an airline, for example, like the from the uniforms to to the um, the cutlery and everything you see, feel, and touch. But also like the intangible things, like um, the dialogue between uh, what the um, customer and the, um, for example, the air host or hostess has with the customer. There are so many intangible things that are involved with his business. But anyway, that was a tangent. Um, yeah, dealing, <laughs> my dad and I um, have been clashing, but at the same time, without these clashes, we wouldn't get to know each other on a, on a, another mm. level which has been probably more painful for the people around us than the two of us <laughs> <laughs> together because there's like a daily like run in um but in my opinion like I wouldn't trade that for anything I'm sorry dad if like you felt like I'm just you know holding you accountable for everything but I really want to get to know my dad because I didn't really get to spend much time with him as a younger person so you know we we don't know how long we have on this planet so I just want to get to know my folks and my my family on a more human level and sometimes that means clashes but honestly it's been real fun too like I've, yeah, hanging out with my mum, we're like, we're good pals anyway. We do have our occasional clashes, but yeah, it's it's been something I'll remember for, for a long time. How do you think you would be with your family if you're in my situation? Um, I think, you know, my parents are such, they're both artists and they're so project oriented that, 
no matter what type of disagreement we get into, we could all just go disappear into whatever project is, is inspiring us. Um, and sometimes I think those would probably overlap and we would, we would be able to just like, you know, get into, in, into making paper or, you know, whatever the, um, so my mom is a, my mom's a fiber artist and my dad is, uh, a jeweler and a writer and wow. he, he can just pick up any instrument and play it, which is a skill I wish I would have inherited. Incredible. Um, but yeah, they're, and we live in, or I grew up in Texas, mm -hmm. which is a, a kind of a weird place that um, everyone has a lot of space there. So that like the art studio is bigger than the house where wow. they live. And it, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of beautiful trees and water. It's kind of a, like a beautiful swamp where I grew up. Mm, wow. Um, so I, I think, I think we'd be fine. We'd, we'd figure out ways to play sport or go on walks and, and do our art together. And, um, and at the same time, have our, have our clashes too. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's this, so I listened to this mindfulness podcast, um, by this lady called Tara Brock. She's kind of, she's huge in this kind of realm but yeah she always brings brings up this story about like these prickly porcupines and um you know there was like a really cold winter and the the only way to survive the prick the porcupines had to huddle together to to conserve body heat and but the longer they'd huddle together the more they'd prick each other and and jab each other and and it would you know so some of them would would separate from the pack and go on off on their own and they'd freeze to death so the realization was it was better to to huddle together and prick each other mm -hmm. every now and again than to than to wander off which is like so so much wisdom um, yeah what a good metaphor yeah absolutely i mean there's um there's been a, a new Netflix um, series called Midnight Gospel, which is full of these super deep insights into existence, um, self-exploration, self-knowledge. Mm. Um, it's by a bunch of comedians. Um, I think the, the, some of the original creators were those who created Adventureland, is that? Yeah, Adventureland, but I didn't get into Adventureland, but this Midnight Gospel is real nice to listen to if you like stories like that. Just FYI. Um, All right. Yeah, let's go, let's go on to our kind of ponytail culture club of what kind of bits of culture have been grabbing your attention right now. Mm. Sure. Um, well, I'm... I'm in a movie club with my girlfriend and housemate and, uh, and a handful of other close friends that don't get to hang out anymore or for a little while. So we've been connecting once a week and we do like uh, pizza and beer and, and nice. discuss the movie we watched each week and each week someone else chooses the movie. And my, our friend Chelsea chose stalker last week, mm. this, um, Russian-directed film from the late 70s mm. that just 
blew me away. Mm -hmm. I, I saw it and just couldn't believe that I hadn't heard of it or seen it before. And um, it's, it's been on my mind all week. Yeah. Have you, have you seen that one? I haven't yet. I saw the trailer and I'm not able to get um, the movie by streaming in my region, but I will find a way because it really, it looks like a real post-Cold War kind of, is it a Cold War era film? And it's like, seems real abstract. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the concept. You might be able to buy it or you might be able to rent it on YouTube. Okay. I'm check there. All right. Um, but yeah, that one, that one's been on my, on my mind all week. And then, I mean, the news is like a combination of, of comedy and, and like horror and yeah, everything. Absolutely. Uh, so I, what kind of news do you listen to or watch or read? Uh, that's a good question. My, uh, Michaela listens to democracy now once a week and we live in a, a studio apartment. So how we, uh, you listen to it too. How we, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we, we kind of, you know, it's just one room. <laughs> so, so yeah, we, we try and we've been trying to find news that is not all negative and not, mm. not too gossipy and has mm. some substance. Um, and it's, it's a challenge, I, I mm. think, because kind of in a, in the same way that the, uh, the fashion industry is, is so, is not just focused on the next thing, but like, two two or three things ahead mm. uh, there's always like multiple irons in the fire and, and there's no, not enough time to actually sit with and appreciate what is right yeah. in front of us mm. um, so we're uh, we're actually constantly looking for a news source that that mm. actually fulfills that right. um, I like I've been listening to oh, yeah. pod save America oh okay I don't occasionally know have you listened to that no I'm gonna write it down it's some of the some of the team that was on the Obama administration, okay, um, and just really smart guys that are um, kind of. I I think they do a good job of of like laughing and being able to laugh at themselves and and being able to like call each other out for. It's just like a group of friends, but also people who are really intelligent have a lot of experience actually writing speeches they some of them are the speech writers for obama mm. which um i i just always thought that when he spoke he really understood the weight of his words and there was rarely an occasion where i i felt like he was just kind of going off script mm. and saying what he felt for whatever reason it was all he always seemed to really understand how how important or like how many people were listening and how how much uh, impact his words could have mm. so it, it's interesting to hear the people who are writing and picking apart that dialogue yeah. how, how they're viewing current uh, current events and yeah. things that are going well or not going well and why mm. I get my news mainly from the British um, BBC World Service, um, which is the radio, um, BBC Radio, and you can stream that from the from the internet. 
Um, I really like their. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I I only discovered that you can stream the the radio from the internet like a year ago. So sorry, bit behind. But um, yeah, I like how they. I like their reportage. I think they cover um, stories of people who have very small voices, um, unheard voices. They focus on a very human side of the impact of global situations. Um, and, yeah, I, I would recommend the BBC World Service. They have really – I think that they vet their information pretty well and when they are criticised um, for any kind of biased um, angle, they're very quick to um, correct uh, correct themselves and, mm. and acknowledge that. Um, but, yeah, and then, like, on the extreme other side of the scale, I like listening to the Joe Rogan show, <laughs> the Joe Rogan podcast, <laughs> Um, because he, I mean, he's probably the biggest podcast in the world, um, but. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it's crazy. From fear, fear factor to like but, the most influential yeah. storyteller in the world. Yeah, I think he, he was smart and he used some money that he saved up from fear factor to start up the podcast or something like that. I can't remember, but, um, I think the fact that he is a mixed martial artist and um, a, a MMA commentator has a lot to do with like his like the way that he is able to view um, different two sides of any story, and um, I think yeah, mm. like it's another example of a someone who is a jack of all trades who like who is great at doing everything that he does and like um I think the I would like his brain because he is so open to possibility um right. which is probably what makes him a great comedian and a great um podcast interviewer um yeah so yeah I really enjoy listening to him it was interesting he just um he just interviewed Elon Musk again on his podcast in the last week or so. And Elon, oh, wow. Elon Musk is obviously being under fire right now um, on the news for um, trying to open up the Tesla factory in these kind of unsafe working conditions at the moment um, with the virus. And I think it's really interesting to watch a man like his reaction to um, – media criticism um and this whole virus um i think it's i think he's a great inventor and engineer but i'm not sure if he's a great um you know ceo i don't even know if he's a ceo but not a great um figurehead not a great figurehead leader. for his yeah figurehead for his companies and mm -hmm. which is like typical of a brilliant person, a brilliant mind. And like, yeah, what are your, th have you been following um, much about him lately? Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think he, I think he seems a bit out of touch with yeah. like 
with his employees' comfort level, with uh, with what the state of California is trying to do. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, like with with I don't have a as big of a organization as him, but I mean, I'm not going to open up our shop again until our team feels comfortable being there. Yeah. And um, and I'm not going to open up our shop until I can pay more than, than the state can pay unemployment. Mm. So like those, those are really big components to this. Yeah. And, um, and I, I didn't hear him mention his employees, yeah. uh, feelings about safety. I didn't hear him talk at all about like, the social distancing recommendations of, of scientists who are continually trying to prove themselves wrong just by the nature of their job. Yeah. Um, and he's like visionary, super smart, doing something really great for the world. Like just what he's done with battery technology Mm. and taking cars off the road, I think is, um, forever commendable. Mm. Um, and, um, it's been really, but that, that, yeah. Sorry. That doesn't mean he should be like, that doesn't mean he should be a politician or that he should be the, he can't do everything. Yeah, exa- you know? exactly. Yeah, he shouldn't be expected to. Yeah. Um, I think there's some structural issues there. And it's been interesting um, in this whole environment, this whole scenario, like you see um, people are really putting placing these people accountable like Jeff Bezos for Amazon and the working conditions for the Amazon essential workers um, Mm -hmm. um, where there have been so many um, news pieces interviewing people who work in the Amazon fulfillment centres who have said that like maybe up to 90% of the orders are really non-essential items and they're, they're risking yeah. their lives to, to service a business that this, a corporation that is really profiting big time off the misfortune of this kind of situation and, and the unsafe work conditions for mm-hmm. their stuff. One, one thing that was really cool was in France, um, the French government actually shut down Amazon France because they realized that this really wasn't an essential service. So to me, mm. I, I was like, good on you, French government. Um, but, um, yeah, I think um, I think people need to talk about these issues and, and I think, I think that we'll we'll see a very different world um, um, at the end of this tunnel for sure. And we need to start talking about how what kind of world we wanna we wanna see. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that. I, I think it's been such a, a powerful reset that none of us thought we would ever have the opportunity to have. Mm. And it's it's just. It's really made me. I've I've appreciated it. I've I've enjoyed getting to sp- spend more time with Michaela, mm. and um, just been able to refocus and develop new routines that I think are are more um, are healthy and 
and are beneficial that I'll continue after, mm. uh, you know, I'll continue to develop beyond this point that maybe I, I would not have recognized the value of mm. uh, for a long time. And, Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward. We're, we'll all keep our eyes out um, on what comes next for the glass wing mushroom community mushroom well, yeah if you, if you come to seattle say hello absolutely we're, we're probably just gonna stay right here and, <laughs> and try and be a, a really good neighborhood shop amazing that's what we need and we need the good vibes like that in our world well um thank you so much for us this is real fun yeah I it was enjoyed. good to catch up yeah um for folks out there who want to um check out glasswing how how do they do that uh, we're, of course, in Seattle, and then we're online, got website, Instagram, all that stuff. We've been experimenting with videos during this time, and hopefully we'll develop that into, into something that kind of shares and adds story and to the, to the creative um, community that we interact with every day uh, that, you know, so, we do so much work to get things presentable online or in the shop and then uh and then they go away or they they evolve but I, I think those stories if we if we create videos they they could be passed along and shared for a longer period of time so Absolutely. we're going to experiment with uh we're going to experiment with that nice. more moving forward that's why i like youtube as a platform rather than most of the social media um, platforms because I, it feels like videos content on YouTube stay relevant forever whereas um, things that are time-based like on on Instagram and Facebook you kind of mm -hmm. you brush past them and then you forget you forget about them whereas YouTube right. is interesting it's like this library of it's like a search engine of of content where you can find mm -hmm. whatever you want but that's I'm excited to see your videos Thank you. Well, well, it was so good to catch up. Yeah. Bye, everyone. See you next episode. Thanks for watching and see you soon, Forrest. Be well. Bye, Lauren. Bye. Thank you.